morning church Mark chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 will be our text this morning we'll read it with we'll read it together and we'll pray in just a moment. This morning's story that we get from the Gospel of Mark is a unique story. It's a story that has a lot of twists and turns that we might not expect, especially if you were to read it for the first time. The other night, my wife and I, Erin A., who's with us this morning, she wasn't here last time that we came, Uh, her and her sisters and her mom were taking a trip for her birthday to New York, Um, but she's here this morning with our two sons, Noah and Caleb. Well, we were watching a movie some some nights ago, and uh, usually... There are not a lot of twists and turns that, that surprise us. But there was a movie we were watching. It was a spy thriller, quote-unquote spy thriller. And there was a, a scene that happened where both of us looked at each other, and we both said we did not see that coming. Most of the time when we watch crime shows or murder mysteries, at the very beginning we'll both kind of pause and we'll say, all right, who do you think did it? And nine times out of ten, one of us guesses who it was. But this scene in this particular movie definitely threw us both for a loop. And in our text this morning, there are a couple of points in the story where the uh, either the main character or even the audience or us today as we're reading have something that we might not expect happen. So let's read our text this morning and pray and unpack this story together. Again, that's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is a story that no doubt many of us have heard before. But Lord, it is a story that is unique. It's a story that has many twists and turns. It's a story that reminds us that you, God, do not always act in accordance to what we think or think how you should act. You are the God of the universe. The God who spoke creation into existence. You are the God who does whatever He pleases. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open and our minds focused, that we might receive from the text from your inspired scripture what you have for us this morning. Pray that we would not be blinded by how we think you should act or how we think scripture should communicate to us, but that we would allow the spirit to work in the words of your servant Mark to guide us. This story is like many stories we find in the gospel. It has, or many, or you could even say like many stories that we find in any piece of literature. It has a setting. It has characters. It has a plot line, a climax, a resolving of tension, and a resolution. It's a story that has many features of any other story, but it's a story that as we read it, it takes twists and turns that we might not have expected. And surely it takes twists and turns that the characters in the story don't expect to happen. Jesus, or Mark, records that Jesus has entered Capernaum, and after some days, word has spread that he was at home. And so people have started to gather together, and they have gathered in such a crowd that there's no more room. Not even could people get into the doorway. Now, we shouldn't think of this as being hundreds or even thousands, because homes in the Middle East then, and even somewhat like this today, were small. Often one or two rooms maximum. The homes were built with a flat roof, and oftentimes there was either a ladder or a staircase that went up to the roof, and it was flat because it had a use to it. It wasn't just a roof and that it covered and kept things out. It was a roof that it served as another level or another room in the home. If you remember in the book of Acts, Peter is sitting on top of the roof trying to catch the breeze when the Lord comes to him in a vision. And so the roof is flat, 
and there's no more room, and these four friends bring their friend who is paralyzed to Jesus so that they so that Jesus might heal him. But as we read, there's no room, and so they take him to the roof. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was bringing a friend, or if I was the, the paralyzed person, I probably wouldn't have thought if Jesus, if it was so crowded and there was no room, most people wouldn't have not thought, oh, let's go in through the roof, right? That's probably not the most logical conclusion. Many may have turned away, or many would have tried to plow through, but his friends carry him to the roof, and they dig a hole in the roof. Roofs in the first century had big, long beams, and then were thatched with other smaller sticks, and then a layer of mud and clay was placed over that, and you often had to, as inclement weather came, or as wind blew layers off, replace it. And so the four friends have this man up on top of the roof, and they start to dig through the roof, and they make it through, and they begin to lower him down. They lower him down so that Jesus can see, and so that their friend can be near Jesus. The paralytic's friends and himself, as we're kind of get this ambiguous uh, saying here in just a moment in verse 5, Jesus says that he sees their faith. But this is one of the first things that grasps my attention as I was reading and preparing the message this week is that this, is that the faith of the friends and of the paralyzed man leads to action. Their faith, and the first time that we really see faith brought up in the Gospel of Mark, is not a passive faith. The friends don't hear about Jesus and His healing powers and just sit at home and pray. They don't just sit there and say, well, I hope one day Jesus comes by so that He can heal our friend. No, what do they do? They have faith. But that faith does what, church? It leads them to action. It leads them not just to bring their friend to Jesus, but they bring their friend to Jesus and they see that the, that the room, that the house is completely full and that they can't get to Jesus that way. So what do they do? They go up the roof and dig a hole in it. If you're taking notes, I would just simply say this. Authentic faith leads to genuine action. Authentic faith leads to genuine action. We live by faith, not by sight, the Apostle Paul says. But faith in the Christian life and in the New Testament is never meant to be passive. Faith leads to action. The four friends in our story believed that Jesus could heal their friend. And so they did whatever it took for their friend to be in the presence of Jesus. Authentic faith leads to Jesus.
we see the friend, we see the man lowered, and Jesus sees him. And in verse 5, the story picks up with a little bit of a twist. Not what most of us would probably expect. Right, Because as we're reading this, as you read this for the first time, or as you listen to it for the first time, and you hear that these four people bring this paralyzed man on a mat before Jesus, we can naturally assume that they want him to be healed physically. And there are many occurrences and many stories in the gospel where Jesus heals people physically. But the first thing that happens is not a, restor- a restoration of the man's physical stature, but a forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 5 with me. Seeing their faith, and again, I think he is talking about both the faith of their friends and the faith of the paralyzed man. Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. This must have been quite the shock to those in attendance that day. For two reasons, right? One, it's apparent that the man can't walk, right? He sits on a mat, and he's drugged on a mat. We know that this is typical, not just from this story here, but in the book of Acts, Peter and John are getting ready to go into the temple, and there's a paralytic man there laying on a mat. This was his home in Acts. This was his home, so to speak, in Mark chapter 2. So if you're the crowd and you see this man coming down, what what a sight that must have been to begin with, right? There's just a guy being lowered from the ceiling. There's a hole in the roof now. You're like, there's a hole in the roof. There's a guy being lowered? I thought we were coming here for Bible study. But there's a man being lowered through the roof, and Jesus, instead of healing the man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Unexpected occurrence. Jesus does not act in accordance to how the crowds or the friends think he might do. And this Jesus acting in this certain way in verse 5 really leads to the tension of the story, which is what we find in verses 6 and 7. Some of the scribes who were in attendance listening to Jesus' teaching, wanting to see if he was doing what they believed God's word said and he should do and how he should teach, they begin to question in their hearts, not out loud, but they begin to question in their hearts, what's going on here? Who is this man? It says that they ask, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? In the Old Testament, in, in Jewish thought, it was clear or it was apparent from the records that we have that the right or ability to forgive sins was God's. We get this from the Old Testament, that it is God who is the one who forgives sins. 
Now the high priest went on behalf of the people on the Day of Atonement to plead to God and give a sacrifice for the sins of the people, but ultimately it is God who forgives sins. We read numerous times in the Old Testament that it is God at the deepest level who is offended by our sins. Now, when we sin against one another, there is a fence there that we should seek reconciliation with. That is clear. But we also know from the Old Testament that when we sin, that it is God our Creator, God our Sustainer, the One who creates all that we can see. It is Him that we have most offended. And it is Him that we need most reconciliation with, right? This is why Jesus has come into the world, so that we might be reconciled to God. At the deepest level, brothers and sisters, our deepest problems that we have in life are because of our sin. And if you are outside of Christ, your sin that has separated you from God. All other things that we see in this world, right? Violence, starvation, war. All of the things that we see are the consequences of our separation from God. And the scribes here understand this, right? They understand that something... Something odd is taking place here, right? Because it is God's prerogative and it is God's ability to forgive sins. And so they're thinking and they're, they're like, who, who is this man? Who does he think he is, right? Who does he think he is? We can, we can live with him being a good teacher. We can even live with him healing and doing some good in the communities. But how dare he believe and assume that he has the ability to forgive sins. The text says in verse 8 that Jesus immediately understands or perceives in his spirit what they were thinking. He understands exactly what's in their hearts, and he says to them, why are you thinking such things? Verse 8 is a reminder, brothers, brothers and sisters, that no matter what front we put up on the outside, or no matter what someone's life appears to be on the outside, there is no hiding our heart from the Lord. This is why Jesus later on will say that you praise me with your lips. And he's quoting the prophet Isaiah. He says, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from So pause right now. Pause right now and ask yourself, do I praise God with my lips and yet allow my heart to be far from Him? And I'm not just talking about do you sing on Sunday mornings, but do you put off this front or do you put off this projection that you are a follower of Jesus, and yet in your heart have some things going on that you need to deal with. 
verse 8 is a reminder that Jesus searches every man and woman to know whether or not their hearts are pure. We can fool our friends. We can fool our families. We can fool our local churches. We can fool our bosses and our co-workers. You, you may even be able to fool your spouse. But verse 8 is a reminder that Jesus knows our hearts. He may know our hearts even better than we do. Jesus, knowing their hearts, says, Why are you thinking such things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, not sarcastic, but using a bit of irony, right? Because how easy is it to heal someone who has been, that is paralyzed? Even from a modern medicine point of view, we can say it's not easy, right? There are people who were walking one day and had a tragic accident and were paralyzed the next. Even with all of the advancements in modern medicine, there are still things about the body that we cannot fix. And so just from a basic perspective, this answer, this rhetorical question is, of course it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to actually heal a person that is paralyzed. But Jesus says, here's... Here's the purpose of this. Look at verse 10. He says, But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And so, the scribes believe that Jesus is to act one way, And they believe that he is a good teacher. They believe that he may even be someone who can heal. But to to exercise or to say that your sins are forgiven is to put yourself on par with God. But Jesus says in verse 10, this is exactly what you are meant to understand. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is equating himself here with God. He is saying to these people, he is saying to this audience, not just to the scribes, but he is saying to them, I am God in the flesh. I am the Son of Man, the Messiah. I am the one in Daniel 7 who was riding on the clouds. I am the one who has come not just to liberate you, but to forgive sins. Jesus doesn't say that he has the ability. And this is, when I was reading through this and studying this this week, this is one of the things that that stuck out to me. The scribes say, who has the ability, right? Who has the ability, that's the Greek word here, who can forgive. It's it's literally in the Greek, who has the ability, who has the power to forgive sins. 
But Jesus, said, Jesus answers their question not just by saying, I have the ability, but that I have the authority. Different, different Greek word. And I believe he does this to show them that Jesus does not just have the ability to heal the sick and raise the lame, but he has the authority, the same authority that God has because he is creator of all. Jesus, the Son of Man, has to forgive sins. He is the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Anointed One, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And the scribes in our story are so worried about Him acting and speaking and doing in the way that they think He should that they miss Jesus standing right in front of them. So, brothers and sisters, this is a warning for us today in the church. It's a shot across the bow, so to speak. That we must be very careful not to be the scribes in this story. We must be very careful not to allow our preconceived notions or not to allow how we understand everything to fit in a nice, neat box. We must, under, we must not allow these things to blind us to seeing Jesus. So often when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, we pick up sometimes good and sometimes bad habits right along the way. If you want to know what your bad habits are as parents, just look what your children do because they're watching you all the time. But the way of the scribes here is an important reminder that as we approach God's Word and as we read it, we would do well to remember that God is allowed to do whatever He pleases. And God will do whatever He pleases as long as it acts in accordance with His character and attributes. I love how the proverb says, says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. We all have a way in which we think the world should work. And if we're not careful, we project the, the way in which we think the world should work onto God. So much so that have you ever caught yourself saying something like this? Well, God would never do that. Or God would never allow that to happen. Or God would never fill in the blank. But all throughout Scripture, not just in this story, we see people who say one thing about how what God should or shouldn't do, and God acts in a different way. Always in accordance to His will, always in accordance to His goodness and His righteousness. 
But we need to be careful, church, that we are not the scribes saying, well, can God really do that? Can Jesus really forgive sins? Verse 10, Jesus reminds us that He is the Son of Man and that He acts in accordance to God. He says, which is easier? And then in verse 11, He looks at the man and He says, I tell you, I say to you, get up, take your mat, Verse 12, it ends with this. Immediately he got up, took the mat, went out in front of everyone, and as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Verse 12 is a reminder of this. That when someone has an encounter with Jesus... The change in their life is evident to all. The man on the mat in the story is drugged to this house hoping to be healed physically. They've heard, his friends have heard that Jesus can heal. And so they bring him with eyes of faith. But Jesus does more than that. He forgives the man's sins. Not just for his sake, but for the sake of the whole crowd, that they may know Jesus' true identity. And if you read on in the Gospel of Mark, this is odd, right? This is another plot twist. Because so often in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will do something, and then he will tell them, don't tell anyone what you've seen. And then sometimes the people go right out, and they disobey Jesus by telling them this is what happened. But here, Jesus doesn't instruct them. Here, Jesus wants the crowd to know. He wants the man and his friends, and he wants the scribes to know who he is. And verse 12 reminds us that when someone has an experience, an encounter with Jesus, It is apparent to all. The crowd sees that Jesus is not just another teacher that's skilled in teaching the law. The crowd sees in verse 12 that Jesus is not just another person that can heal. He's not a revolutionary leader that's going to liberate them from Rome, which we learn later on in the gospel. The crowd sees in this story what each one of us who are in Christ have seen in our hearts in our own lives. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the Son of Man who has come to heal the sick, to release the captives, ultimately to be the sacrifice for our sins. And when they see that Jesus is not like what they thought, they give glory 
this morning as I was reading this story and going over my notes, I was thinking about how, how do you how do you end how do you end this story, right? How do you end the sermon at the end of the story? And and here's here's what I think all of us can can think about here. Think about who you are at this moment in life in this story. Are you the paralytic needing Jesus to not just heal you physically, but heal you spiritually? Are you lost? Do you belong to the kingdom of darkness and are seeking to become a part of the kingdom of the sun, the kingdom of light? Are you the scribes, always believing that God must work and act and move in the ways that your mind has preconception? Are you the scribes that have the appearance of having everything put together, but your heart, your heart is far from the Lord? Are you the crowd? Are you one of those who has come to hear the words of Jesus and witness something extraordinary happen that you weren't ready for? I don't want to pretend to know where any of you are this morning, but however or whoever you are, wherever you are in this story... Respond as we get ready to sing our invitation. Respond accordingly. If you are in need of spiritual restoration, then come forth. Ask and you shall receive. You don't have to try harder or do more or look a certain way. You just have to come and experience and encounter Jesus. Maybe you're the scribe whose heart is far from the Lord and all of these years or all this time you've been putting on a front. Maybe you've been fooling those around you, but now you know through the power of this gospel and the Spirit, now you know that you can't fool God. Come. Come receive the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're someone who actually needs physical healing. I loved the prayer blanket and just what it symbolizes in in the faith of the church. Not that the blanket itself has any magical powers, but the prayers, as James says, of a righteous man or woman are powerful so I encourage you, if you need healing, come and allow the church to pray for you. Respond in whatever way is appropriate for you this morning. However the Spirit may draw you during this song. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be like the characters of this story. Lord, I pray that we would recognize that there is the Son of Man. 
and that He has come not just to heal the sick, not just to teach us the law, but He has come to raise those who are spiritually dead and give them new life. Lord, I pray that we would understand that Jesus has not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts so that we would not be like the scribes of this story, thinking we've got you figured out, or that you need to act and do as we expect. Lord, I pray that we would be like the the paralytic man, humble and willing to do whatever it takes to experience you. 